Well, I encourage you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Exodus chapter 17. If you'd like to use the Bible in front of you, that text is on page 59 of the Black Bibles there. That root structure, that root structure, what's underneath the surface for the people of Israel is uh, bitterness, a complaining spirit. They are easily forgetful in this wilderness uh, journey. And uh, you know, sometimes you read through this portion of text and you think, is this really the same group that came out of Egypt uh, that the Lord has delivered with an outstretched arm, that the Lord goes before in a pillar of cloud and fire, uh, stood between them and the pursuing Egyptian army and actually moves them from death to life through the Red Sea. And He provides meat in the wilderness, manna, every day for them to eat. Where should they turn if they're in trouble? Whom should they trust? Where does their help come from? May be a fitting question. And Psalm 121 answers uh, that question. If we were to put it in the plural, their help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And yet they seem to refuse to believe this. So let's read this next episode, Exodus 17. See where it takes us. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. You shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of all the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Let's pray. Lord, that's a somewhat, that's an eerie question to even consider. We pray, Lord, that as we come under uh, this teaching as we sit in submission under your word this morning that you would teach us that you would open our ears to what it is we need to hear our hearts and our minds to what it is we need to process we cannot do this without your help and so lord we thank you for this word that in your grace and mercy you've given it to us may we receive it now as coming from You, the One who is in our midst. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. A few years ago, we took a family vacation back to Michigan, which was not uncommon. We did that a lot. and we, uh, Instead of traveling from Iowa to the south, hitting Highway 80 and cruising through Chicagoland and then up into uh, West Michigan, we decided to go north. 
And so we went into the UP, that's the upper peninsula of Michigan, before working our way down across Mackinac into the mitten of Michigan. Uh, but one thing we did on this trip was to stop at places along uh, the northern part of the upper peninsula. And, and right there by Munising, Michigan, along the coast, is a place called Pictured Rocks National Lakeshore. And it has that name because it is a very picture-worthy place. Uh, as you go out onto the lake and you go along this 40-mile stretch of coast, the rocks are, are jetting out. There's, there's tunnels, natural bridges, turrets of rock that just stick out into this beautiful aqua blue uh, Lake Superior. There's some rock formations that actually look like faces from a distance. Uh, just an incredible uh, place. You see how these rocks have been shaped over time and what they show us about the landscape. Uh, the rocks really do cry out and speak of the Lord's handiwork. In the passage we just read, the rocks speak. The rocks shows us more of God's character. Uh, pictures what God has done for His people in the wilderness, what God has done for His people in all ages. And, uh, you know, the people are ready to pick up rocks and throw them at Moses. Um, this is getting ugly. It's starting to wear on Moses. Uh, so as we consider the, the rock and its pictures, we're going to look first at, at the testing of the Lord with rocks before trusting in the rock of ages. Testing the Lord with rocks, trusting in the rock of ages. So the people of Israel are on the move. They're traveling farther south into that Sinai Peninsula. They're not actually leaving the wilderness of sin, but moving from place to place. Uh, and then stopping here at Rephidim. And we're not exactly sure where this is, but we do know from the name of Horeb in this text, as well as the beginning of chapter 19, that Rephidim is quite close to Mount Sinai. Um, but they've stopped here because this is where the pillar of cloud and fire has brought them. Um, it's a place where they're going to spend some more time. Uh, and it's a place that doesn't just have bitter water, it has no water at all. For the people. So what is the Lord doing? Why would He take them here and stop at this place? And we know by now, and the generations to follow would know as they, as they hear this story, that this is part of the Lord's sanctifying curriculum. He is testing the people. He is testing their allegiance and trust in the One who has delivered them. Yahweh is their new Master. They belong to Him so will they look to Him and trust Him in every circumstance. And he's shown them already that not only does He deliver their lives, He sustains their lives in this wilderness. But the worship that should be due Him for this and because of this, that's not what we're seeing. We're seeing a whining and complaining against the very One who has rescued them. Um, and this, this grumbling, you know, it's starting to ramp up a bit. Now this this you know, discontent, grumbling moves to more of a protest, uh, a quarreling. You know, I like to you know, think about the difference in protesting. You might have a, you know, a large gathering like we see in the Right to Life March in Washington, D.C., where folks are coming together, and some of them are carrying signs, but they're all, they're all marching together in, in peaceful protest. But then what we've seen more of lately as folks gather to, 
to, to protest maybe around a Confederate monument or something like that. Uh, we're seeing more defacing or pulling down of the monument or pushing against the, the police barricade. This is the direction that Israel seems to be heading. Maybe some of them, maybe there's some pushing and shoving going on. Some of them are, you know, kicking the rocks or picking up a stone and sort of tossing it in their hand. Give us water, Moses. But we know, Moses says it again in verse 2, uh, that they're not shouting this at Moses. This is what they're shouting at the Lord. They're not going to Him with their need. They're not crying out to Him, waiting for Him to provide. I mean, they've enjoyed His provision just this very morning in the manna, but still they quarrel. They're demanding God's provision. And from that final question in verse 7, they're even doubting His very presence. I mean, could they be more blind, show more contempt for the Lord's leadership through Moses, through His presence with them, I try to think of, this just seems so inexcusable. You think of a, a marathon and, and, and someone's running the marathon and they're at you know, mile 20 of the 26.2 miles. Most of us are long dead before mile 20. But if they're at mile 20 and you're watching from the sidelines and you decide to you know, hop over the fence or, and, and, and run up to them and say, hey, when are you going to start running? When are you going to get in this race? I wonder the insult that would be. Taking something that is so very obvious and saying, hey, not good enough. Come on, i got a different standard for you. It's my standard. That's what the Israelites are doing. They're taking this test of them and their trust in God, whom they have every reason to trust, and flipping it on its head. Lord, you need to prove yourself to us. We're going to test you now. We're going to put ourselves in the, in the judge's seat and you can take the witness stand. And it's not innocent until proven guilty. Did you catch that? No, no, you're guilty of trying to kill us until you do what we demand. <laughs> Lately, my, uh, after my kids have tried something that looks painful or they've succeeded in something that I wouldn't encourage, uh, I've, I've said lately, you know, the Surgeon General does not recommend that you fill in the blank, you know, kick, kick the trunk when you're barefoot or, you know, peel a hangnail down to your knuckles or something like that. I, I don't know. That hasn't... But something like that. You know, it's silly, but it's, it's to make the point, right? Don't, don't, don't do that again. Um, in this episode, through the biblical story, it's not the authority of the Surgeon General that has any appeal whatsoever. It is the authority of God, the Creator of heaven and earth. And as a general rule, God does not recommend. In fact, He is quite displeased when His people try and test Him. And Moses will refer back to this event in Deuteronomy 6 when he says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested Him at Massah. It's the same passage that the Lord Jesus uses in His own wilderness. Matthew 4, Luke chapter 4. He Here's Satan who's trying to use the Word of God on the living Word Himself. And Jesus says, it is said, you're not to put the Lord your God to the test. And I say it's a general rule because the Lord has given one exception through the prophet 
Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, the Lord says we should test him. You remember how? We should test him, test his response to our giving to see if we, if we can really outgive God. Go ahead and try and test him in this. Bring in the tithe. Bring it in full and see what he'll do. That's a test of trust and loyalty. You, you might put Gideon and his fleece in a similar category. But that's not what we see in chapter 17. This is a test coming from unbelief, putting God on trial. I don't want the seriousness of this to escape us. By putting God on trial, the people are putting themselves in a position of authority over Yahweh. Who do we know in our story, in our walk through Exodus, who has done this? Who saw the power of the Lord over and over and over again and says, no, I know better. Sounds like Pharaoh to me. Sounds like the old master. The people are acting just like him. This test is a direct rebellion against the living God. And so the more God's people, the more, the more we presume to test Him, the greater hardening of our hearts toward Him. The character of God, His very nature, faithfulness and love and mercy and justice, these are all innate to His being. They cannot be tested as if we're going to gauge their progress somehow. It's not our place to determine if God measures up, or even to go through life. To go through life asking ourselves what we think about God and how He does things. No, our starting point must be, what does God think of me? What is His assessment of my attitude, of my words, of my actions? It's the Lord who tests, just as He did with His people here, and they are found wanting. And so Moses responds to this, uh, in, uh, to the quarreling here, and his, his response is quite instructive for us in verse 4. So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. Okay, now if I'm Moses at this point, what, what am I ready to do? Got my staff, got my duffel bag, see you later. Check, please. I'm out. Right? I know the way. You know, just east and wilderness. Moses is familiar with that territory. He knows where to go. Lord, I'm done. Told you I wasn't the guy for this. Here's proof. See ya. But that's not, not what Moses does. He cries out to the Lord, which is good. That's the place to start. That's what the people should be doing. But his cry is getting a little more desperate, maybe even harsh. He's growing in frustration. Okay, job stress is growing. He's doing what the Lord has called him to do. And now there's some genuine fear associated with this role. I think in those times, it's easy to look in the mirror and just say, okay, how do I get out of this? We go, we go into that self-preservation mode. Seems as Moses may be offering... Um, this word, that fear driving him a little bit. And unless we think that's reading too much into it, we have help from Psalm 106. We always use the Bible to help us interpret the Bible. Um, we'll do that again in just a second. Psalm 106, verse 32. They angered him at the waters of Meribah, and it went ill with Moses on their account, for they made his spirit bitter, and he spoke rashly with his lips. 
So it seems that Moses is beginning to lose his temper with all this whining and complaining. That's an important thing for us to remember. You know, last week we said we need to guard against a, a spirit of distrust in our leaders, those whom God has been pleased to appoint. But how about the response of the leaders when they're not being treated in the way they think they should be treated? Or not being treated in the way that they deserve? It could be employers, parents, leaders in the church. It's really everyone. We need to be crying out to the Lord, trusting in His provision, even when it's hard. Even when there is some fear. You know, in those times when there is fear, we're, we're frustrated. Are we more concerned with the glory of Christ and the health of the church and of our families than we are with our own immediate self-preservation? Now, there is a healthy self-care and assessment. We're going to continue serving in our, in our homes, in the church, in the community. It's very difficult. In fact, it's unsustainable to, uh, to faithfully minister if we are a mess, physically, emotionally, or spiritually, even though faithful ministry takes us right into that mess. There needs to be sufficient time to refresh and refuel process life through that the difficult service the broad service this is this is everyone in this room we're not complaining or grumbling against god in our frustration our pain which we know will come so we find the old testament or when an old testament passage is used in the new testament it really helps us understand how the church is supposed to respond to that ancient text and Paul makes reference to this episode in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, verses 1 through 6. He's encouraging a spiritual discipline in the church, warning the early church um, not to follow in the footsteps of the Israelites. Let me read this again for us. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as an example for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Learn from this, Paul is saying. Don't grumble and test the Lord. He was there feeding the people all along. And what they needed physically, God provided. And it just pointed to what they needed spiritually. We'll come back to this passage in a second. But you hear the warning. We hear it again in Psalm 95, like we've read earlier. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work, and Moses names this place Massa and Meribah in verse 7, but rarely do we find both of those names together. I'm trying to think of an example of this. The only thing I could think of was, um, you know, if you go to the College of William and Mary in Virginia, two names, but you're talking about the same place. That's what we see here. Do not harden your hearts. As I was working on this you know, message this last week, Wednesday, you know, the clock rolled through noon, and I could hear the siren 
you know, at a distance, and then they got a little closer, and then I got a little closer, Sherwood testing its system every Wednesday at noon. I thought, oh, how, how timely this was. And I know that you didn't jump out of bed this morning and rush to church to hear a warning. But as we sit under the Word of God this morning, that is what comes to us. The Bible is full of warnings that we need to give careful attention to today, not not tomorrow. Some of us need this warning because we have not surrendered our lives to the authority of God. We've not submitted to His will for us. Instead, we're being the testers, right? We're packaging Him according to our will and our desires. Maybe like those in Corinth that Paul is, is warning. We like hanging out with the church. We enjoy the fellowship. Maybe it, it checks a box for us that keeps us sane. But really, the old master is still at the helm, still calling the shots. Is that you today? Please do not put the Lord to the test. You're only hardening your heart to His mercy. And other of us, we need this warning because we've been apathetic or lulled to sleep. You're giving little thought or attention to the idols in our hearts. We may be a part of the covenant community, incorporated into the life of the church as the people were baptized into Moses, but we grieve the Holy Spirit in our sin. We're not walking in repentant faith, crying out to God, believing that He will provide. There's a warning here for us all. So we're not to test the Lord, but trust in the rock of ages. The Lord tells Moses to take his staff, take along some representatives from the people, and go to the rock at Horeb. So this is Mount Sinai, where the Lord first appeared to Moses. We don't know exactly where on the mountain this happened. Uh, But the Lord stood by, and some believe that this is an angel of the Lord, or or maybe even the pre-incarnate Christ who stood the rock that that, uh, Moses hit with the staff. Uh, Actually makes the most sense that the the pillar of cloud moved to a different location. So it's very clear to the people who was performing this act, who was performing this miracle. So in a way... In a way, God is taking the test. He is willingly sitting in the witness stand and the jury, here's the elders of Israel going with Moses, the jury is going to see if he's really going to do this. Then he can go back to the people, or they can go back to the people and say, yeah, yeah, we saw the water come from the rock at the Lord's command, and you go and put that rock down. You know, it's okay. The people will see the Lord's provision I hope it has some lasting effect on their memories. Let me ask you that. Have you seen the Lord's provision in your life? Do you remember maybe a specific time or a specific place when He provided in a way that you never expected, that you never thought possible? Bring that to mind. Keep rehearsing that over and over. It's a way to fight this spiritual amnesia. The psalmist says, Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. The Lord leads Moses to the rock, closer to His presence. And He strikes it with the staff of the Lord, the staff of God's power and judgment. It was the outstretched arm of God, represented through Moses and that staff that brought the strikes on Egypt. Staff brought judgment upon the Egyptian army. 
The waters closed in on them. Here again is the staff of God's judgment striking the rock so that the living water would flow to the people. And Moses is going to strike a rock again in Numbers 20. It's easy to confuse these things. In Numbers 20, he'll hit the rock when he wasn't supposed to. And out of that just brief lapse of trust, it costs Moses the promised land. But that's a different event a long time from now. Uh, this, is, um, uh, this is something different. But I think, you know, the Lord could have easily struck down his people, could have easily destroyed them in the wilderness, but he strikes the rock instead. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 that the people drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Christ was present in the wilderness journey. So like the manna that shows us our need for the bread of life, the rock is a type. It's a picture of Jesus. God sent His Son into the world and the people did exactly to Him as they wanted to do to Moses. The rock, Jesus, was struck in the place of Moses. The staff of God's judgment. Jesus was struck in the place of the people. This is God's mercy. I mean, what an amazing grace that he, he submits to His own justice that life would flow to His chosen people. And He does this through His Son. He was wounded for our whining. Wounded for our transgressions, says the prophet Isaiah. Crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His stripes, we are healed. The blood and water flowed when the rock of ages was pierced on that cross. Here's our Savior. Here is our provision in the wilderness. And so we saw the rocks, and the pictured rocks, National Lakeshore. You know, it showed our family the beauty of God's creation, helped us understand better the history of the world that we live in. We gain a better understanding of our Savior. The rock pictured here in Exodus 17. The history of Israel's deliverance. It's the very story of our salvation in Christ. Our God is present. He provides our every need. In the Lord Jesus. A rock of ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in the pictured rocks. We have pictured food right here. The very body and blood of Jesus represented speaking to us in a special way through the bread and the cup. So let's thank the Lord uh, for His grace and go to the table. Lord Jesus, You are our rock and our Redeemer. And we see You so clearly in this text. We praise You that You have taken the staff of God's judgment upon Yourself. And now, Lord, as you have fed us through your word, so you feed us at your table. Strengthen our faith. Deepen our love for you. Our desire to feast upon you. We pray this in the name of Christ and only for his sake. Amen.